Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Actung, actung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, James Holland, and with Rabbi Robert O. Thomas, better known to a lot of people over here in the United States as Rabbi Rob. And we're recording this in, what is this from? This is the armaments truck? Uh, armaments and storage. It's one of our many transport vehicles for getting us to and from events. Yes. So, so um, we're on the shores of Lake Erie in the state of Ohio, near the town of Conneaut. Town of Conneaut. Which is about 75 miles due east of Cleveland, uh, where I flew into yesterday. Um, and it's blowing a gale outside, which is why we're here. So it's kind of, it's, it's D-Day weather. because the, Yes, the, it is. Very the, accurate. The breakers on Lake Erie are kind of crashing in seven foot high. <laughs> What's amazing is that the, uh, the landing craft have been stood down. Yes. It's like, what? <laughs> They've canceled war on That's account of weather. That's ridiculous. You know, we're trying to get verisimilitude here. You know, they should be in there puking up. and. <laughs> Well, they have a history of that, which is why they canceled. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, Rob, this is part of a um, this is part of, of what we call our Heritage Heroes series. So this is people who are keeping the heritage of the Second World War alive, and you are really doing that. I mean, it's amazing the collection you've got up here, and you've brought them in convoy all the way from just north of Orlando, just north of Orlando, Florida. That's correct. <laughs> That's just amazing. So that that what is that? Like twelve hundred miles or something? Yeah, about like that. Yes, yes. It's a long way. It takes it's three days way. in low loaders. Yes, yes. With inevitable delays, uh, we usually blow a few tires on the way due to the heat of the road <laughs> oh and the, the weight God. and going up and down mountains. This year we had a very different delay. Mm -hmm. uh, we did blow some tires, but we've counted for that. A woman driving past was so enamored of the armor that she pulled out her phone while driving and promptly drove into a ditch. Oh so we had to God. pull over to help her out. She was fine. Thank God. No harm. Uh, but she said the picture was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> worth, worth, worth the $2,000. Yes, yes, worth crashing her car. <laughs> exactly. That's hilarious. But Rob, it's amazing the collection you've brought up here. And I know you've got way more down than Florida, which is sort of still left behind, including the world's only firing 155 millimeter long tom. That's correct. Which is an absolute beast. Yes, it you've is. You've got three Sherman tanks up here. Yes. And the priest. And the priest. priest howitzer motor carriage. And, and, and priests and sections are big friends of the show, I have to say. We're, we're big fans of those, Excellent. Al and I. Excellent. So very nice to see it. And I know that Al is going to be incredibly jealous and envious of me seeing this in action later on. And this is an incredible gathering. This is the sort of thing that just you could never have in Europe and you could certainly never have in the UK. And already there's been more firing. <laughs> 
<laughs> of machine guns and cannon and, noise. and uh, oh yes. yeah yeah yeah, yeah you know happening. I mean I've already got a little bit blasé to it because I was just sort of sitting down a, a moment ago and a whole series of sort of machine guns sort of 30 calibers and MG42s and stuff started firing off in the distance and I was like oh yeah that's normal that's <laughs> That's what happens here at Conyer. So anyway, so it's an amazing, it's an amazing approach, and it's World War Two Armor.org. That's correct. Uh, and just www.number2armor.org. Yeah, and just to reiterate, this is American, so there's no U in armor. That's correct. Armor, armor, World War Two armor. Exactly. So, so to anyone who wants to learn, but it's it's an amazing collection. But but let's go. Let's rewind. Let, let's Certainly. rewind. Okay. So so what I do know is that once upon a time you were a naval corpsman. That is correct. In the Gulf War, I was in Desert Storm. That is correct. Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And lo and behold, all those years later, here you are in Konya with this incredibly impressive collection of armor and World War II hardware. Yes. So what? I mean, what's the story? Well, and I, you're a rabbi. And I'm a rabbi. I am a rabbi. I am an ordained rabbi. We say smicha in Hebrew. Yes. So I was a corpsman in the United States Navy Reserve. Mm -hmm. I was detailed to the Marines. So mm -hmm. I spent no time on a ship, which I consider to be victory. Yes. I was always with the Marines. I was always a ground pounder. Okay. So I was always in green. We called it Greenside. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Just found found my people, found my niche. Right. But what were you doing when you weren't being a National Guardsman? So I was I was writing code. Of, oh. Yes. So a, a lot of the internals of the operating system, the Unix operating system, I helped to write. Right. And uh, I was doing a lot of backbone engineering, helped build the initial backbones uh, right. that, that consist the internet but, but, today. But how did that come about? I mean, was that oh, something I started you... programming when I was 12. Did you? Yes. Okay, you just got you just got the brain for it. I, I I can't do math. I can't do math what? at all. <laughs> so you can do algorithm. I'm rubbish at math. Okay. My dad's a math teacher. It's the Shonda in the family. Okay. But and where were you brought up? I mean, where where was home? So I was brought up in Jacksonville, Illinois, which yeah. is a small farm town center uh -huh. of the state, as well as Skokie, Illinois, right. which is a northern suburb of Chicago. And I I spent my childhood in both places. So a very urban existence, very rural existence. Right. Picked up programming at the age twelve. Took a gifted student program and learned oh. programming, C programming, and Unix. Did you? So you could do. So you, you can get a gifted a program kind of course at, at a very it, early, it, it was, early it teens. Was, it was cutting edge. It was new. It was wow. nascent. In fact, when I came home and told my father I had picked computer science, not maths, not uh, physics, not history, which I love history. He said, "What is this computer science thing? What yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. is that?" So that just tells you how nascent it was. And so I was uh, a reservist, so I would be called up for uh, duty and deployments and things as needed. Uh, I would do my drilling, but otherwise I was writing code during the day mm -hmm. and playing in my punk band in the evenings. Were you? Yes. yes. So I, what, was, what was your when I had hair? It was, when I had hair, it was blue or green, generally. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a guitarist okay, so and a lead proper, singer. A proper punk. I was a proper punk. Did you record? We did. We did. We, we, uh, we, we were called The Returns. We cut an album. We were somewhat, somewhat popular in Chicago. Yes, uh, nice. yeah. We played on the radio for a while, and then I realized that's no way to make a living. Really, you just no, couldn't be done. No, it's it's very hard. Very few make it to the top, of course. Okay, and it's it's a hard, hard life. But computer programming offered all sorts of just limitless opportunities. Because yeah. from there, I learned. Uh, so I was writing operating systems for routers, and that's how I got into backbone engineering. Then I started doing security because then security problems started to crop up as more people came online. Yeah. Uh, it's just limitless opportunities. And that's still true today. So so when is it? What are we talking about here? Sort of 80s, 90s? A 80s. Yeah. yeah amazing. Mid, mid 80s and forward. Yeah. What was absolutely. it K49? Do you remember that? 
It's like the first one of the first computers. It was something like I, the I had a, It's I had actually a, rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Well, most of them were. I, I had a TRS-80 color computer at home. Right. Uh, but I worked on PDPs, running Unix. Then I worked on Sun and HP, and on down the line. So everybody had their own Unix, and I, right. I worked on most of them. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because when you think of computer programmers, I, I have a sort of mental image in my mind of a sort of you know, a spotty teenager sort of still awake at three, you know, in his darkened room with just a sort of, you know, zoning out on some screen. Well, that's not, and, that's and, not okay, inaccurate. Uh, really? <laughs> well, yeah, but you, you're telling me that, you, you know, you, you sort of had this semi-rural upbringing and, and you wanted to, you know, you were a, a National Guard reservist and you know, that, that doesn't sound like the usual kind of career path. Well, for yeah, a computer you know, I, it, it was, it was odd. I took a very odd path forward, but yeah. my parents were very supportive of me going on that intellectual journey of discovery. Right. And as I traveled with the military, I met people from all walks of life, huh. all cultures, many different countries. So you really get a sense of just how broad the world is, yes. but also how similar we all are. Right. Right. Economic drivers are common across any group of people. Right. Uh, so you, I learned a lot about economics as a result of that. So, it, I mean, it was a great way to grow up. Yeah. It really was. Uh, I, I did go to college for a couple of years. I dropped out. College was not for me. Yeah, I still enough. haven't gone back. No. Uh, and, who needs it? Yeah, and, who, and I've told several people, look, go if you need it. Don't go if you don't. Right. There are many ways forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Gulf War. Gulf War. You start with the Navy Reserve. And, and the Corman bit, I mean, you know, sort of medical science, medical training. And so when you join the reserves, you have, uh, it, you, you take a test and right. you score. And so I scored perfect on the test, huh. which was a wonderful thing. I yes. didn't expect it, I'll be honest. And my parents are very proud. And they said, you can have any enlisted job you want because you scored perfect. And I'd scored well on the physical tests and things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, great, show me the book of jobs. Nothing was online then, so right. it's a book. Hmm. Colorful photos, all yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. They said, oh, you're joining the reserves. That means you're going to Decatur, Illinois. That's your reserve center. There are three choices. Only three. Oh, my. What are they? Well, the first is heavy equipment operator. That's not for me. Uh, Constructionman, meaning carpenter, essentially. Maybe. Well, I thought that might not be bad. It's a good life skill. But, yeah, really good life they, skill. The guy said, well, I just want to point out, you're going to be outside and it's either going to be too hot or too cold. Mm. That, and I, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, or hospital corpsman. And I said, I don't, I don't know what that also is. Also useful life skills. Well, at the time, hospital corpsman. Well, I'm thinking orderly. And he said, well, it's a medic. Yeah. And I'm thinking hospitals, air conditioning, good life skills. This is for me. Yeah. Uh, so that's how I ended up a hospital corpsman. Wow. While in core school, at the end of core school, a gentleman strode in yep. and said it was a co-ed class, men and right. women. And gentleman strode in. He said, all the women, please leave and line up in the hall. And, the, and thus they did. And we thought they were in trouble for something because right. he was very stern about it. And, and he said, OK, all, for all the gentlemen here, the Navy is short combat medical technicians. And therefore, all of you are going to FMSS. And that was it. That was the end of his speech. We're all stunned. And so I thought, well, I'm always happy to be that guy. I stuck my hand up and I said, sir, what is FMSS? He said, it's Fleet Marine Service School, where all of you will learn everything a Marine learns in 13 weeks, plus combat medicine in two weeks. <laughs> and he thought, this is my kind of course. Uh, well, no, I'll be honest. I thought, People, this, oh. this is rubbish. <laughs> really? I thought oh. you'd be up for that kind no, of challenge. You know, at the time I was planning to go back to college. Right. And so you know, college was starting soon. The term was starting soon. Yeah. I was finishing school. Oh, I see. Everything was time. Yeah. So I stuck my hand up again. He said, yes, young man. And I said, sir, I'm 
full of questions, apparently, but uh, many of us are reservists and therefore are returning to school. Several of the rest of us are active duty and they've already got their next duty station. Like they, yes. they're making their plans to move. And he said, that's the beauty of the Navy. You always have time for what we want. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a brilliant euphemism isn't, isn't it? it so i went i and all of us went uh when i arrived we had one week of classes so, so you, you at no point did you think oh well you know sod this i'm you know well you can't quit you know not, you, yeah, you just can't yeah so but i thought well you know i'm gonna make a go of this because yeah. i'm gonna learn some useful things we went out for the first week it's classes very intense right. and so you you take an hour class you take a test take an hour class take a test take an hour class so it's just class test, class test, class test. The weekend, you spend a whole weekend studying. Monday, you take another test. The second week is what they call hell week, right. which is where you go out in the field and demonstrate all the things you've just learned the week before. Yep. And you demonstrate mastery, to be clear. You're not demonstrating any sort of familiarity. Okay. You this are, is not just sort of, you know, have a go and see how you... Yeah, that's right. Because they're, they're not, they're no longer instructing it. you. They pointed this out. One of them said, last week, I was your instructor. This week, I am your judge. <laughs> so so we went out. That's so brilliant. We went out. and uh, I always love it. I, one thing I absolutely love about Americans is, is the ability to say lines, give a pause, and then say something else with enormous profundity. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, like it, it's like it's something that's sort of inbuilt with you from it, birth. It, it, it must be. We can't do that in Britain. No, no. When I'm in the UK, I never hear these things. I mean, imagine I if I stood up in front of a class and said, said, gentlemen, last week I was your instructor. Now I'm your judge. <laughs> it wouldn't work. It no, just wouldn't no, work. It wouldn't. But it in would. America, it sounds fine. Yeah, it's absolutely expected. <laughs> Anything less would have been unacceptable. So we spent that week doing exercises, night and day, very little sleep, very yep. little food, the things yep. you would expect. And yep. a light switch went on for me. I absolutely loved it. Oh, really? I, and that's what well, turned the corner me. for me. Okay. I said, I could do this. So yep. a, a gentleman came to me after class. He said, you did very well. You were a top student. Again, didn't expect that, but yep. thank you. Uh, we didn't get a lot of compliments. So that was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, when, they, when you get them, they count. Anyway, yeah, they, they right. mattered. Right. And he said, we would like to switch your career path to this versus working in a hospital and doing records and sort of standard patient care. And I absolutely leapt at the opportunity. You said, bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. Signed right there. Amazing. So how long did you do that for? I served for eight years. Yes. But uh, obviously not solidly. Not solidly. There, you, were, you know, you're still a, a Navy Reserve. So yes, you, yes. you're going back to your, your day job, which yeah. is computer programming. Writing, writing code, building networks, running mm -hmm. networks, doing security. And then playing in the punk band at night. Amazing. Yeah. But, but obviously no longer green and blue hair. Well, so it, it, certain <laughs> units in the military, you can get away with a little bit of that. I'll just leave it at that. As long as it's under the cap. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> How amazing. Okay, so you did that. And then and, and, and did that for eight years. And that's all good. And then you thought, okay, now I'm going to just stick with no, the makeup. I, I, I thought I might make a career out of it, at least as a reservist, maybe mm -hmm. even active duty. Right. And I sat down with a mentor, mm -hmm. a much older, much more seasoned. And he said, look, there's a lot of things you can do in life. This is a hard life. This is a young person's game. Yep. I would seriously think about that before you commit to that long path. Uh, and so as much as he was happy for me to stay, his advice was, I think maybe you need to spread your wings and you need to get uncomfortable again. Mm. You're getting comfortable here. You're doing very well. I was moving up in rank very quickly. Yep. So I decided he's right. I need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable again. I need to make a career change. So really, the, I had stopped playing in my band. 
Uh, you know, I'd sort of replaced playing in my band with Dungeons and Dragons again. And then, oh, oh yeah, big D and D all my life. Nice. But I decided that IT really was a good career path, and then focused exclusively on infotech. Again, building networks, computer programming, computer security, all the rest. Right. So, so, so tell me about the birth of the collection, because yes. this is very much your baby. Yes. And it's an amazing organization you've got. So, you, you know, you, you have your, your professional life and then you have this and, and what you've created. It's, you know, back in the day in Britain, you know, we used to have these little sort of private armies, you know, sort of right, um, right. love it, Lord love it scouts and yes. all this kind of stuff. And the Green Howards, which were originally became part of the British Army, were originally a sort of privately funded thing. You've got this sort of team of people. It's like a, it's like a little sort of armored company in a way. Indeed. Uh, um, yes. And um, I know you call it a group, but but it's you know there's ranks and there's there's kind of there's structure. There's structure there to structure, it. There's yes. a there's a esprit de corps, which is very yes. evident. Yes. Everyone's absolutely charming and delightful. And, and I have to say, has made um, me and um, Stuart Bertie incredibly welcome. Excellent. So thank you for that. I should also say that you've put me in uniform. <laughs> yes, is a and, new and you look good in it. You look good you know, in I, it. Do you know? I'm glad you said that because I feel good. Yeah, I feel yes. good. So I'm wearing I'm wearing these sort of um, MTB cotton uh, HBT HBT HBT. Where did I get that from? Taker uh, coveralls. Yes, which are actually mine, and I bought ages ago. At, I think at the War and Peace show that oh, we right. had over, yes, in, over yes. in the UK years and years and years ago, and I bought these. And I wear them if I need to sort of, you know, unblock the drains or, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. get under the truck, whatever it is. Um, I usually put them on over my jeans. But, right. but, but I, I'm wearing them as they should be worn. And they're, God, they're comfortable. I'm well, just, of, just I'm thinking it's like, out, it's like my Winston Churchill romper suit. I'm going yeah, to yes, wear like it that. more in civilian life. So I'll point out that it was initially issued as a uniform to wear while cleaning. Right. It was not a service uniform. Okay, this so was I wasn't entirely incorrect in my no. use of it. And also, you pointed out I would wear jeans under these. When these were issued, you were supposed to wear these over your wool shirt and your wool pants. Right. And that, that would protect those garments from, from the schmutz you're going to pick up because you're changing track or whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. Later that, well, quite early, but later in the uniform's issuance, quite early in the war, the tankers figured out this is an outstanding uniform yep. for everyday wear. It's very practical. Yep. It's very easy. And so that's why they switched to I love it. it wearing it among others. But this was probably their favorite. I'm I'm really taken with it. I, in fact, I might even wear it all around. We have Waze Fest, you know, cause, just because it's so comfortable. Absolutely, a versatile and utility. Yes, <laughs> all those things. Well, uh, getting but, back to how it all started. Yeah, yeah. So, so but, but the point I was trying to make was just that it, it is it is an amazing thing that you have created. Well, thank you, thank you. Well, it's it's a team effort, like all things. In of life. course, I am incredibly blessed incredibly blessed to be surrounded by people who give the one precious gift you can never buy nor manufacture and that's time yes these people all give their time they could be doing anything else yep. honestly they could be with their families but their families support this as well they give the gift of their time to be here to look to do what well you know they get to ride on tanks and fire artillery it's hard work yeah they pass out at night yes. it's hard to get up in the morning so you know it, this is fun but it's fun that comes with a lot of labor. Yep. Uh, and and dedication. And dedication. Absolutely. And it's dangerous. Yes. We can't sugarcoat that. So everybody here comes to my tank farm once a month to train. We yes. train like a reserve unit. Mm -hmm. We train on all the, the possible downside outcomes. A tank rollover, a tank fire, somebody getting hurt inside the tank. How do you get them out? Yep. So they're not just dedicated to the moments where we're firing the guns. They're dedicated to all the grunt work. Yep. But that pays off. As we used to say, 
The more you sweat, the less you'll bleed. And that's a credo to which they all cleave. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, and, and you've got some great people, haven't you? Like, oh, um, uh, like Eric and Mike, you know, who are ex, you know, the, the, they're tank men from the that's from right. the real U.S. Army. That's right. They've that served a, in in Iraq and Afghanistan and what have you. And yes. Abrams tanks and yeah, we have several. What about. We have several. We have some current um, active duty. Uh, just a few. We have several veterans from every branch. Yes. We have uh, law enforcement folks. Yeah. We have pe- we have doctors. Yes. We have lawyers. We have pilots. Yes. Well, uh, I know. We, we have mechanics. We have welders. Yes. Every walk of life comes here. And yeah. it's a lot like the military in that nobody cares where you came from. They care what you do. Yes. And that's exactly what happens here. It's a microcosm of any reasonable military. Yep. And and, and no one's put on a pedestal. And, and nope. you know, you could be um, a surgeon, but but you start at the bottom. That's right. Everybody starts at the bottom, regardless, by the Meritoxy. way. Meritoxy. It, it's absolutely that. Regardless of, oh, I was a tanker in the Army, and I've been a reenactor for 20 years. Here, you're starting at day zero. Right. Because what you haven't done is run one of these tanks. Yeah. So you're going to learn how we do it, uh, because, again, safety is everything. Uh, if you, I tell people, if you go home from one of my events angry at me, but with all of your digits and limbs, I've done it right. <laughs> Hopefully you go home happy, but I would rather I have to course correct you to keep you safe yes. than to, to be the nice guy who lets you get hurt. Well, I mean, we were chatting earlier on, weren't we? And you were making out the, you were point, pointing out that these things are fun, but, but they are there to kill other people and to, you know, to be destructive. And so you have to treat them with the respect that that initial design deserves and warrants. Absolutely. And, and you muck about at your peril. That's right. That's right. And it, look, it, this was true when I was in the military. It's something that you drives home early, and I drive it home to everyone here. It's not your own life that's at risk. It's your teammate's life. Yeah, of course. If you survive because you made a mistake and someone else dies or is hurt, you will have to suffer that the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So what you really, what I tell people is you don't need to worry about yourself. You watch out for your teammate. Yeah, yeah. He'll take care of you. Yep. That builds a certain culture that lends itself to safe operation. Yeah, and of course, that's exactly how it was in the war as well. You know, yes. particularly on a, on a tank crew like a Sherman with five of you and, and, you know, you're in companies or squadrons or whatever it is. But, you know, you, you've got to absolutely act as a team. Absolutely. And we do. We, the, the crews are the same crew. Yep. They'll be on one or two tracks or one or two guns, meaning yes. artillery. So they know their steed. They know each other. If you listen to how they communicate, it is slightly different. The commands are the same, but it's slightly different across tanks. That's okay. They've learned to adjust to each other's quirks and voice intonation and speed at which they operate. And therefore, it's a well-honed machine. I'm with Rabbi Rob Thomas of World War II Armour. We're just going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a tick. Uh, welcome back to We Have Ways to Make You Talk with me, James Holland, and with Rabbi Rob Thomas. And we're talking about armor and having a collection and how you manage it today and Heritage Heroes, which you are one, Rob, and is Thank all you. your team. They're great guys. Yes, yes But But we, we, we keep going down little rabbit holes. I, I, I need to stick to the point here, <laughs> which is how did it all begin? Right. So well, the Thompson uh, machine gun. With, with an M1A1, yes. World War II Thompson. I'd always wanted one. I, I grew up watching war movies like a lot of people my age did, World yep. War II movies. Yep. And what do you see? What was your favorite? Uh, you know, it ebbed and flowed over yeah, the yeah. years. I would say. I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, but I would say the longest day yeah. uh, was a great one. And a bridge too far is a greater one. 
a bridge too far. Just apart captured. from the leopards on the tank. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, but the the bring up the pit. It, it captured so many different units and the challenges they had and yes. how they interacted with each other and how they came together in times of intense stress. Yeah. But it you know it, it would ebb and flow for me as I learned. Gun, such a great story. Yeah. It's just an absolutely. Great have you been story. there? Have you been out there? I I have not. <gasps> uh, like I I need to get to more battlefields. You need to come next September. 2024, oh. they're reenacting 30 Corps March. Oh, I would love there to see that. There are over 400 vehicles doing it. That's outstanding. British armor. You're but right. there will be all the stuff in between it and, and parachute drops. Come and join us. I would. Come I and would. join Alan and I. It'd I be would. great. I'd love it. I would. And <laughs> we can get you in British kit. <laughs> the fair is fair. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, I, wa- I wanted an M1A1 Thompson. Uh, I found one. They're, they're not in. High supply, but you can you can obtain them. They, of course, they can be yours. If they you, can if be yours. Yep. They're expensive. Yep. Um, and, of course, you have to be licensed. Uh, yep. That is a licensed item. And it takes anywhere between 12 and 18 months for that background check and that license mm-hmm. to come through. Well, that's a good thing. Which is a good thing. Absolutely. In the interim, I found a grease gun, the iconic grease yes. gun. And I thought, well, if I'm going to have a Thompson, I better have a grease gun. Yep. So I ended up uh, receiving the approvals for both at about the same time, picked them up. Um, I had a little farm, so I would go out shooting there, shooting yeah. live at a berm safely. Yeah. And absolutely. And this is it. part of your background, sort of part urban, part part rural. Right, exactly. And exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's Are you now down in, in Florida? No, we're now down in Florida. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, we also live in Illinois part time. Huh. And up until recently, we lived in Marleybone. Uh, we, we'll, and we'll be back. We'll be back. But we, we spent several years living in Marleybone. Nice. So um, I then had a friend call me and he said uh, he, he was a weapon manufacturer, licensed manufacturer, and he was going out of business. And he had his dad's M2HB, Badu's 50 cal machine gun from World War II. Wow. It was a, a demo weapon. So yes. it had been used in classes. It hadn't seen service in the war. And he said, look. But it was I, a genuine a thing. Genuine thing. World War II article papered and everything. Uh-huh. So I went and uh, looked at it and I said, well, this thing, you could eat off of it. This is beautiful. And it's a piece of history. Of course. And he said, look, if I don't sell it to you, my fear is I'm going to sell it to somebody who beats it up and yep. doesn't appreciate what it is. Yeah. So I bought it. I brought it home. I put it on my garage floor. My wife came out. My wife, Lauren. And she said, oh, my gosh, that's way too big to carry. And I said, it's funny you should say that, honey. I was just thinking I need a vehicle to put it on. <laughs> that's not the most obvious way around, is it? <laughs> well, I, I can be a subtle Brit when I need to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very good. Very strong. So I, uh, I have the world's most patient wife. Uh, she's always been supportive at, at every step. So I bought a Jeep, World War II Jeep. Yeah, every, uh, every man every, needs one. Everyone needs a Jeep. That's how well many of us start. Yeah, yeah. I bought is a yours, Scout Is gun. yours Ford or Willis? It, uh, well, like a lot of them, it's a mix. Huh? Um, yes, a, of course. And a lot of them were a mix in the war, just yeah, yeah, to be yeah. clear. So you might have a data plate that said Willys, but then you see a little Ford F on right, all yeah, the yeah, bolts, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Because they get rebuilt and of reassembled. Of course, yeah. But I, I had, let's call it a Ford. And then I bought a second Jeep. I bought a Scout car. I bought an M20. Scout car. So tell me. I, M3 A1 I've got, I've got a bit of a patch for Scout cars. Oh, absolutely love it. By the way, it off-road, one of the best ever. Yeah. It's so yeah, much yeah. better than the M20 or the really? M8, which is the same really? thing with the yeah, turret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we much prefer driving that. Anyhow, uh, another gentleman who I came to know called me up. He said, hey, I've got a Stewart tank that I want to sell. He, yes. he was going to get back into Mustangs, P-51 Mustangs, yes. which he had collected and then stopped. Uh, so I bought well, that. P-51 Mustangs. Right? Yeah, it was, it was an easy... I've, I've, I've argued repeatedly that I think it's the most decisive aircraft ever built. I, I agree. 
absolutely agree. Its ability to accompany the bombers. Well, it's just what it what it changes. Yeah, it enables D Day. Yeah, because if you're not if you if you don't secure airspace over the whole of Northwest Europe, you're not going to win. You're not, well, you're not you're not going to launch D Day. It's yeah, just not going to happen. That's, that's so right. you have to do that, and the only way you can do that is by really, really pushing the Luftwaffe back and destroying it and hammering yeah. it. And the only way you can do that is if you can escort the bombers all the way to the right. right. And, the and, and I, look, I would Mustang. argue the, the P-51 Mustang was an air superiority strategic asset. Yes. You know, it's called a fighter or a, um, you know, a, a pursuit. A pursuit. It was it was a strategic asset for some I air totally superiority. I totally agree with you. Yep. Anyhow, yep. so I, I bought a Stuart tank, then I bought yeah, a Sherman Stuart's tank. Yeah, Stuart's a great on me. Oh, they're wonderful. But once you get in a Sherman, yeah. it's hard to go back. And as my wife likes to say, it was all downhill from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sure, we're, you know, we're, we're Shermans, but, you know, it's a, it's a, we're big fans of those on our show. Yeah, it's good. good. Yeah, yeah. Good. I mean, for me, you know, tank for tank, it's number one. I agree. And it, look, it proved its metal. It proved its metal. Well, I do like Cromwell's. Numbered. Well, Cromwell's are very nice. You need too. to get one of those. Yeah. I may branch out to some British armor. Well, I, 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 I know a man who can help you on this. <laughs> Tobin Jones, he's your man. Track and wheel. All right. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. He can, he, can, he can help you out. Yeah, so the collection has grown, obviously. Uh, you know, we've got a Pershing. But, 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 just, sorry, just to go yeah. back. First of all, you, you've got, your, you've got your, your Thompson gun, then you've got your grease gun, then you've got your 50 caliber, then you've got various vehicles and jeeps and what have you. So suddenly, suddenly it's like, I need a bomb because... This yes. is starting to feel like a collection. Well, I started with a warehouse. Starting with a warehouse, okay. Warehouse, but so, you, so you warehouse and Yeah, you can't put a tank in a warehouse. Lauren's okay with that? You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Well, yeah. she was happy because I took it out of our garage in our home. Yes, so she, she would be. She was stoked. She, okay, so home She is was home. chuffed. You took these out? Yes. This is wonderful. Right. So, <laughs> so then suddenly you're thinking, you know, okay, so now I've got a, now I've got a, a Stuart Stroke Honey. Now I've got a Sherman. Oh, let's just have another Sherman. <laughs> well, so what happened is once you start collecting, People reach out to you. Right. So I... I there they know not, that you're the man. There is not one vehicle I've purchased since since that Jeep. Yes. Not one vehicle I've purchased that I solicited. Huh. Everyone has come to me, especially as right. we've become more well-known. Yes. Has come to me with, I have a tank or I know somebody with a tank. Yes. They want to sell. And, you know, would you be interested? And then we go and we assess it mechanically. Yes. And make a decision. Yes, and then I mean it's it's very interesting because we're we're putting together a um uh, well I say we Marcus Bailey is putting together a, a Lloyd carrier, and you know he's always sending over little snippets of uh, oh you know you might be interested in this and it's sort of two completely kind of smashed up yes, uh, um, yes. half tracks that need restoration and he uh, you know Marcus going well you know I think if you restore one. You sort them both together. You could probably sell the other, and that will probably finance the first one. Maybe. <laughs> and when I hear that, I'm thinking lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you wishful thinking. <laughs> yes. But 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 the thing about it, it is quite a closed world, isn't it? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. the number of people that are buying these things and doing them up and storing them and looking after them, it's a pretty small world in the big scheme Absolutely. of things, and it's an international world. It is. I have bought most of my tracks from Europe, several from the UK. Most of our tank engines have come from the UK, a lot of parts from Europe. Right. A couple pieces from the US. Okay. From US collectors. But I would say that the my experience is the US tanks, they're not as well restored and they're not as well maintained as what I have found in European collections and collectors. Well, I, I mean, what I know of you already is that you you are a very meticulous man and, and you know you have an eye for detail and you like things to be done properly. And you're not going to do this half, half hog. I mean, what has been amazing is, is, you know, here we are. You're not 
actually going live. This well, where are we now? It's about well, it's about half past ten in the morning here in in Ohio on the shores of Lake Erie, and you're actually all in action this afternoon at about three o'clock. Correct. But you were here at seven. Yes. And you were in operations yesterday and you were making the point yesterday evening that, that, that how you're using these is not how they would be used in war and they Correct. need a different type of care and they are weapons. And again, it goes back to that kind of respecting what you've got and respecting the heritage and understanding what it is you've got and treating these with comparatively kid gloves. And I don't mean kid gloves, i.e. they're a kind of bit of porcelain. Kid gloves as in everything's got to be spot on. That's right. I point out to people, oh, it's like, wow. We've got tanks. I said, ah, correction, I have antiques. <laughs> they, ha- they were tanks once, and yeah. they are tanks today. They're fully functional, but they are antiques. There's yes. almost nothing on them that's less than 80 years old, right. 75 years old at this point. Yes, and that, that's where they're very different from, from Warbirds, isn't it? Because, yes. you, you know, you can, be, you can see a Spitfire now, which is a brand new Spitfire. Right, right. It is a right. Spitfire. Yeah. It's, everything in it is perfect, but it is brand new. Whereas these German tanks you've got and, you're, and the honey and all the rest of it, they're they're the original thing. That's right. That's right. With some exception, we put modern radios in them. We put modern fire suppression in them for the obvious reason. Yes. Uh, we do build our own modern breaches because we don't want to trust an old breach. It might give way under the pressure of the yep. powder we fire. And but that's very beer in the big scheme. Yeah, it is. Most Everything else is going to be 100% World War II authentic. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. You made such an interesting point earlier about the fact that, you know, these guns, these weapons, they just want to fire bullets and they want to fire shells. They don't right. want to be firing blanks. No, none it's of, all about none projecting of them are something that. That's right. that kind of 2,000 feet per second yeah. over... These were all designed to send the mail. Right. And so that, they, that brings problems. That brings significant problems. The maintenance is harder. The uh, reliability is much lower. So why is that? So these weapons were designed to send a round downrange and then the opposite force would cycle the bolt cycle the ejector, uh, reset certain gears inside. All of it is predicated on I sent the mail and therefore all the other physics takes care of itself. When we're firing a blank, we're firing black powder, there's nothing going down range. Right. We count on the gas that's expanded to press back through a smaller aperture that we insert and install. And it's not consistent. The weather will change it. The humidity, right. the temperature, the right. wind, wind today, yes. which is epic. Well, we, 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 I mean, I don't know if, you, if people will pick up on this, but, but, you know, we're in this huge sort of um, con- container lorry and, you know, it's sort of rattling around and shaking. And that's just the wind. It's just the wind. Seven foot waves out on the, on the yes. lakes today. So it's, it's art, not science. We're constantly tuning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty regular for a gun to go down during a battle. Yep. The crowd won't know it. Because we're there, assess, adapt, overcome. We're going to repair it in the field as soon as we can, safely, of course. We're going to bring that gun back online, and all the crowd sees is a pause in firing. Mm-hmm. But we are, that's why we have to train so much. That's why we have to spend so much more time on maintenance than they would have in World War II. Yeah. Well, I mean, the dedication of everyone is, is just unbelievably impressive. I mean, it feels very, it feels very, very collegiate, very cohesive. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone, there is, a, there is definitely an esprit de corps, which is very, very obvious with you guys. And you're all in it together. And, and everyone, I think, feels us. I'm sensing a very real sense of responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll point out, you, you mentioned something earlier. We wear rank, World War II rank, World War II uniforms. We have a structure. We absolutely do. The rank doesn't count for anything. We're all the same rank when it comes to safety. We're all the same rank when it comes to operations. Right. Now, the rank it does mean that people have additional responsibilities. So tank commanders will be... a uh, 
a sergeant, a staff sergeant, an officer. Yes. This is indicative of the fact that I have shouldered them with greater responsibility for humans. Right. And everybody has the same responsibility for mechanics. Yep. So, yeah. So there, there is that. But at the end of the day, when we're downloading off the tanks, putting everything back away, everybody's turning and burning. Yep. Right. There's no rank has yep. its privileges. Rank just has responsibilities. And the other thing I can tell how I know that you're all a really good team is that everyone constantly takes the piss out of everybody. Oh, absolutely. So people say, what's the most realistic part? It's that. <laughs> I can tell you from my military time, it's nonstop. I'm convinced that there were Roman soldiers yelling at each other constantly because, it, you know, some things have never changed. The military throughout history and any culture, by the way, yes. there is consistency in that regard. The brotherhood. Yeah. That's always there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was very funny because this morning you were giving a little briefing and then afterwards everyone jumped on one of the people, one of your guys. Uh, and I was like, well, what's all that about? And I said, oh, he hates to be hugged. So, of course, we hug him. <laughs> <laughs> really funny. <laughs> but, but, but tell me, I mean, where, where do you see the heritage of, of, of the Second World War over here in the, in the US? I mean, it's still got a very, very firm grip in the UK and across Europe. And it's, and it's interesting, you know, I, I sometimes bump into people who've watched some sort of rubbish program that I made years ago. And, and you know, and they're from Spain. And you think, well, why, why, why would they be interested? Or Denmark or, or somewhere in Scandinavia or something. So, so it still has a, has a resonance, I think. And, if, you know, Alan and I talked to the, um, the author, Robert Harris, who wrote Enigma and, and B2 and various other things. And Fatherland, of course, which is most, one of his most famous novels. And he said, when people say to me, why are you so obsessed about the Second World War? He, he's, he said, I always reply, why wouldn't you be obsessed with the Second World War? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, well, I love that too, of course. But, but, but where is it over here? Because, you know, it's a bit like the UK. It's not really taught in schools. You know, do you think the interest is waning? Or, or do you think there is still a, um, you know, a, a, a people are keen on the heritage? You know, a, a, on the anniversaries, there's obviously a bit of a fanfare, isn't there? And so I would say awareness is waning. Largely do the education system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we by, uh, we hear that from educators who come to our events and say, we just don't teach this. Can you help us? Can you provide us material? Can we bring a class? It's not because it's just not in the curriculum. It's just not in the curriculum or, or it's an abbreviated form. Yeah. I would say the interest has not waned. You see it. People come out here. They see a tank and they go, that's what grandfather was in. Right, right. And, and he's passed on. But I remember he told me he was in a tank and he sat there. What is that role? Oh, well, he would have been the tank commander. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And you see the lights go on. Mm. And what's interesting is these kids and, and adults will come to the ne- that very same event next year and next year and next year. We get a lot of repeat business. Mm. A lot. We and are then they're sticky. afflicted. And, 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 and they spread it. They're here it, for life. It's, it's a quality virus. It, it is interesting, that, isn't it? And I wonder why people don't, don't study it at school and why it's not part of the curriculum. Because it's still so relevant, isn't it? The tentacles of the Second World War are... are Still absolutely And current. the first. And the first. And the first of all, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, uh, we're all kind of, um, you know, minds are a bit more focused now with what's going on in Ukraine and right. same old battleground. And, yes, yes. You know, sort of same repeat things and same lessons about strategic operational tactical level. You can see all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. being played out. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that I think with Ukraine, you know, yes, okay, Russians have hypersonic weapons, but they're not using them very much because they don't have very many of them because they're really expensive and That's right. complex. So. Then it's just 105s and, you know, basic artillery and it's the old school. You know, so certain things haven't really changed very much at all. And there's still, you know, 600 miles of trenches or whatever. Um, So that kind of focuses your mind a little bit. But but I wonder why they don't teach it at school. I just don't understand. I I, I don't know. 
It's all civil rights, isn't it? And well, stuff. it's and, and, I, you know I think it's a variety of things. Obviously, and, and history marches Russian on. Revolution. That's what they you're, do. you're trying to cram you know more history in, in fewer hours because we're very focused on STEM, perhaps. Right, and, maybe. You know, I, I, I've I've had teachers give me a variety of reasons. I will tell you though, without exception, these teachers have said it's a shanda, as we say in Hebrew. It's a shame. We don't teach this because it's so important. Yes. Um, obviously. We well, obviously, also, I think so. Yeah. Well, and obviously I do. And and look, you know, I, I'm a Jew. It's very personal for me. Yeah, I'm sure it is. None of my wife's family that was in Europe made it out. Not, not one. Wow. Uh, and we have. How did she get out? Uh, well, her, she was her, already her great-grandfather had left uh, oh, as I a see. result of a pogrom. But they stayed in touch. So, with the, all so of the, the reason they left in the first place was, was because was of anti-Semitism. anti-Semitism in Russia, uh, yeah, which you know me. rages through today. So yeah, so they lost family. Her grandfather, who was born in the United States, was a soldier in the U.S. Army. He was a trucker. One day, a officer came over and said, uh, "Kaplan, you speak Jewish, right?" <laughs> and you know, he, Nate, Grandpa Nate's like, "Yes." Obviously, he meant Hebrew or Yiddish. And he said, "Great, get in the jeep." And they drive him, and they drove him to a camp. One of the first camps the Americans had liberated. Wow. And he said, none of our translators can understand what the, these, well, he called them prisoners, what these prisoners are saying. Well, because Grandpa Nate was a native Yiddish speaker, he was able to speak to them. Right. And so the rest of the war he spent translating for Jewish prisoners, oh, as well God, as others, right. because he had a smattering of Russian, yes. spoke a little German, obviously right. English. It's a very personal thing. And a lot yeah. of those, those little vignettes those important moments mm. have been lost. Yep. He liberated the camp where Elie Wiesel was mm. a prisoner. Interesting little factoid. I'm going to go on, but I think this is an important Dude. story to share. So his son, an, an uncle of my wife's, grew up in a time where he could not understand, as, as a Jewish man, he couldn't understand, and he would say, why didn't we fight back? Why did so many of us just go into those camps and then go into the death chambers? Why didn't we fight back? Years and years later, Grandpa Nate has passed on. He goes to a speech by Elie Wiesel. And because he was part of the committee, he got to meet him backstage. And he said, I have one question. I, too, am a Jew. And I've never been proud of it because I can't understand why we didn't fight back. You were there. You've studied it. Yep. Why didn't we fight back? He said, do you not know that we did? Every chance we had, we blew up ovens. We blew up gas chambers mm-hmm. and everybody who did that knew they were going to die. And all of them did. They were all executed yep. if they didn't die in the blast. So, but keep in mind, most of the ones who went to the chambers were elderly and children. Yes. What were they to do? Yes. They had no tactical expertise. They had no weapons. And he said, that changed me. Huh. And I'm going to get a little choked up. Sorry. Um, so he tells me this story. He didn't know that his father had liberated Ellie by himself. Wow. I said the blessing in this, the miracle in this, is that he liberated Ellie Wiesel so that Ellie Wiesel could tell you that story. Uh, I don't know because Grandpa Nate couldn't talk about it after yeah. the war. That's Isn't what this that means amazing. to me. Yeah, and I, I, I absolutely see that the education is a key part of what you're doing. You're educating the people that are coming on, the volunteers, in how you maintain these these yeah. these these machines, these weapons. How they were used, how, how they were used. deployed. The, and the foils. But you're also, but you're, you're Educating the public. Yes. So you, you do a, a number of events over the year. We have a huge library. Absolutely massive Gee, library. Amazing. Yes, you've got to see it. Contemporaneous yes. period documents yes. uh, to include the reports that said this part of the Sherman was rubbish. This part of the Sherman was great. Mm. Let's do more of that. They did studies of the armored units, the American armored units. What would you like more of? What would you like less of? 
All that's there. Mm. You I know, can send you some digital documents, actually. Oh, you I might would love that. that. I would absolutely love it. Okay, so well, we, we then put that. that out. We publish articles regularly. Yes. Uh, we educate. We do lectures at every event Amazing. so that people can walk away with a, with a little bit of knowledge and spread mm-hmm. that around. We spend a lot of time debunking myths. Yes. And, uh, and we have a lot of time pointing out, look, the American forces didn't always get it right. We had to learn some painful lessons. But here's how we applied those lessons. And oh, by the way, you want to be proud of us? how quickly we applied those lessons. Ah, that's the key thing. I mean, you know, the, I, I've said it before, I will undoubtedly say it again, the US Armed Forces by May 1945, July, August 1945, were the best in the world, bar none. Uh, and I think, you know, for the, I think the British too, uh, and all the Dominion forces, I think for the most part, they got the big decisions right. I do too. You know, yeah. and, and one of the key things is how you prioritize your resources. And I think they're incredibly good at that. I think Germans were very, very bad at that. Actually. They were, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thank goodness. But it is fascinating, and, and you're right, it's, it's good to myth bust a little bit, because how do, how do you find out your information about World War II? How, how do you find out about Sherman tanks? Well, you watch a documentary, 99 times out of 100, it's going to be awful. Yeah, that's right. No, you're It just is, right. because, you know, I know how these things are made. I've done enough of them to, to tell you that I know what the process is. And unless, unless I am writer and, uh, you know, uh, and I have some skin in the game and some say over what, what's going to be put in, I know it's going to be, frankly, rubbish. Right. And... Otherwise, it's books. Books, reports. We love to read after-action reports. We yep. love to read ballistics research laboratory studies because they were doing yep. them during the war. Uh, a lot of UK Ordnance Department studies, brilliantly written. And again, they, warts and all. Yep. You know, they didn't hold back because they're trying to win a war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to know what's wrong. They absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but, but, but my point is that if you're a punter today... How do you find out about this stuff? Well, you know, you, you watch no, a bad, docu- you watch right. a bad yeah. documentary, you watch Fury, which is, okay, might be quite a fun and entertaining hour and a half or whatever, but historically it's just tosh. Right. Or, or you read a book and now there's podcasts and, and what have you, and there's the good work that you're doing. And, and it is important to educate and, and kind of change perceptions. And I think, I think there is a growing little movement going on in the field of the Second World War, which is a sort of quiet revolution which is changing the narrative, that kind of tired old narrative, which needs rethinking about. And, and I think one of the things is, is about you, it's, it's not just about who's got the biggest gun, who's got the biggest armor. That's right. It's how you, it's how you operate it. It's, it's the backing you have for that operation, for, for how you deploy it. It's, it's maintenance of, of your strength at the front. So that's training, training and, and, you know, mobile um, workshops and all this sort of stuff, ease of maintenance, quality of parts, usability, all that kind of stuff. You know, all, all these things are really, that, really important. And the Americans are just genius at this. Yeah, very good at it. We learn quick. We fail quickly right. and we learn quickly. Right. I'll point something else out because you mentioned Germany was just rubbish at a lot of this, a lot of the key bits. You know, Napoleon said an army marches on stomach. They just never got it. Why? There's been books written about why hmm. and what two things they could have done to have changed and yes, won yes, the war. Yes, you yes. always hear this theory. Yeah. And of course, that assumes no other variables change, which yes. is also rubbish. Yes. Here's what's up. Democracies are a bunch of people coming together for a common cause and going to debate endlessly how to get there. Yes. Tyrannies are a bunch of people coming together to knife each other in the back. <laughs> so true. And that's Tyrannies why. are fundamentally weak. They're yeah. strong at the outset and they're weak over the long haul. Yes. Democracies get stronger as they go because the best ideas rise to the top. In tyrannies, only the strongest person gets to the top. And by strongest, I mean most brutal. Yeah, I mean, but, but I think the, the, the point is, is, is Second World War, World War II, there is global jeopardy. 
Yes, uh, absolutely. And there may be global jeopardy right now, but a lot of people, if, if there is, it's not sinking in quite enough. And yeah, so I that's why that we're in a bit point. of trouble. Yes, because if you look at kind of autocrats and dictators, when they take on democracies, they generally fail. That's right. Yes. But, you know, you know there's, there's lessons. This is why the other reason why history is so important, of course, Absolutely. Is, is that, that you know, history doesn't repeat itself. The patterns of human behavior certainly do. And those patterns repeat themselves. Yes. Right. Well, yeah. we, we're not a fundamentally changed beast from, say, pre-Roman times. Yeah. Right. It's what it's the angels of our better nature. It's asking more of each other and ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's holding ourselves to a higher standard. But that's a winning act. Yeah. It's much easier to just go full animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you've got to go, but I've just got one last one last question, which is by handling these 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 weapons, by handling these machines, by getting inside them, by pulling to pieces, putting them back together again, by operating them, just how much is your respect for those tank crews in the war gone up? Oh, massively. I, and I'll be honest, we came into it with deep respect. Now, having seen how they lived, how they fought, what it took to win, I, limitless respect. Off the radar. Limitless respect. And yet, when we meet them, they're the most humble people in the yeah, world. Isn't that true? They're the most humble. Always. They said, look, I was doing a job. I, was, yeah. I wasn't he, he a hero. Was, I wasn't was a hero. Guy, so yeah. he was my buddies, yeah. you know. And, and, you know, I think there's something to that. I think they mean it. Yeah. They're not kidding. Yeah. They get it. And yeah, I, yeah. I think there's a lesson. Maybe the most important lesson of war is that one right there. Well, amen to that. And um, Rabbi Rob, what a pleasure. Thanks for getting me over here. It's been an absolute hoot so here. far. It really has. And been great fun to talk to you. And Likewise. Fascinating. Really fascinating. And keep up the good work. Thank you. You too. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Cheerio. Cheerio.